What is continuationism and why do I care about it? First thing we're going to do is talk about what we believe the Bible teaches, our confession of faith. You can go to the page two, the top of page two, real quickly. Has an excellent summary statement about what it means to be a continuationist. It says, all the gifts of the Spirit listed in the New Testament are available to the church today. For the church today, are available for the church today and should be earnestly desired and exercised for the edification of the church and the advance of the gospel. You will see that that's the last section on, on page three. That's the last section of the confession on the topic of the Holy Spirit specifically. And so it's kind of the wrap up summary statement. This is what we believe. If you want to be able to explain quickly what we believe the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit and his involvement in the church today, this is your statement. All the gifts of the Spirit listed in the New Testament are available for the church today and should be earnestly desired and exercised for the edification of the church and the advance of the gospel. All right, so that is what we mean when we say we are continuationists. So our distinctives. Why do we talk about being continuationists? Why is this a thing that we make a big deal about? Well, basically it's because we have uh, we live in a time, well, back up. We're going to get to that point. I'm jumping ahead of myself. It's because the Bible says so. That's why we believe it. That's why we talk about it. The Bible talks about this. It's very clear about the subjects that we're going to be talking about, and I'll show you that. And so that's why we make a big deal about it, because not all churches make a big deal about it. Not all communities of faith make a big deal about it. And so we do. We believe it, and we want to practice it, and we exercise it. And so that's why we make it a distinctive. Uh, we'll talk more in detail a little bit down below, but we earnestly desire the gifts, as it said in, in the Bible, and then we summarized in the confession, for the purposes of building up the church, as it says in the confession, but more importantly, as it says in the Bible. And, and then, again, why we make the importance of distinguishing that. Okay, so throughout the history of the church, there's been what I've referred to here as some strange fire. Um, there's a book by that title written by John MacArthur talking about this in detail. John MacArthur doesn't line up with us 100% on our continuationist perspective. He has a different perspective, and we'll look at some of those perspectives a little bit later. But ultimately, there has been numerous examples, and there still are examples of where the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been abused, have been misused, have been misrepresented, and that happens. Um, I, I went to... A, I have a personal example of this. Some of you probably do as well. But I, many years ago, went to a church that was having a kind of a revival, um, kind of a, a conference on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I specifically wanted to go to the one that was talking about the gift of tongues because that was kind of fascinating to me. And I'd never been in a context where I experienced that. So I wanted to go hear what some people who were stated continuationists Charismatics said about this. Now they were Pentecostal. There's a difference between some Charismatics would differentiate themselves from being Charismatic versus being Pentecostal. These guys are Pentecostal. I won't go into the differences right now. Um, but I went in, they talked about it for a little while, and then the guy who was speaking said, All right, everybody, we're going to just exercise our gifts. And kind of in a one, two, three manner, everybody in the whole church just started gibberish. Everybody was just making noise uncontrolled, 
There was no edification. There was no explanation. There was no interpretation. But the entire church just started making noise. And it was weird. It was unbiblical, actually. Uh, Paul's really clear about how that gift is to be used and what the purpose of that gift is. And what I was experiencing was not it. So that was very clear to me. This is not what the Bible was talking about when it said, you know, use this gift. All right. So there's lots of examples of strange fire. Uh, and the, the, the per reason we call it strange fire, anybody want to take a guess? Why would we call it fire? Perhaps it ties in with the tongues of fire that came down. There you go. Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit first fell on the disciples, he was, he was represented by a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire, tongues of fire on their heads. So that's, that's why the connection to the, the strange fire. Well, and also Eli's son offered strange fire in there. Also that. <laughs> that was Old Testament context when the sons of Aaron brought their censers out. They had put a non-prescribed incense into the censers and they brought it before the Lord as an offering and he, he killed them because they offered strange fire. So, so that's what we're talking. That's one of the reasons we want to talk about it because some people have abused and misused and not practiced biblical examples of, of, of the gifts. And so as a result of that, um, well, I guess I'll back up a little bit more because I have a nice bullet point about it. Some people have been led astray by false doctrine and some people have been led away by the influence of demons. And that's a thing that the Bible says will happen. In the latter days, you'll be led astray by those who will come up from among you who will offer false teaching for ulterior motives, selfish motives, wrong motives. There will also be demons that will influence people in the church. That is a thing that is, that is taught in Scripture. And so some of those examples are that happening. Being influenced by false teachers who the devil has sent to sow lies amongst the body to cause confusion, as he does, and then by demons that are doing the same work for him, right? So that is a thing that we have to be on the lookout for. We have to be disciplined and studious and discern, and we'll talk about the gift of discernment later, but we have to be able to discern those things. As a result to those people uh, who have been led astray, some very very unknowingly and some very intentionally, um, there are a lot of people in the evangelical church today who are very, very aware of that and very careful about that. They're very, very shy towards the gifts exercised in certain ways because they don't want to do them incorrectly, right? So it's kind of imagine a pendulum swing. There's people over here who are doing it very wrong one way. And so as a result, we always tend to go extreme. And so we swung to the other side and said, you know what? We're just not going to have anything to do with that because we don't want to abuse uh, the gifts. And so they overcorrected. And for the sake of trying to keep it, keep it right and biblical, um, and so they, they altered, altered, opted for, excuse me, they opted for kind of uh, being less offensive for the sake of not being very offensive. And so I'll make two points about that. One is being less offensive can still be wrong, right? So doing something because you don't want to do something that's very clearly wrong over here, but not doing it right, you can still be wrong, right, if you're not doing it correctly. And so we need to study to show ourselves approved, to be able to actually discern what the Bible is talking about, 
And that's the second point. Being lazy does not beget right thinking, right? We have to do the hard work of learning and discerning and then practicing what is right. So not just, pra not, just not practicing what's wrong, right? So that's, that's for all of us. We all have that responsibility as we interact with the Bible, as we interact with what, what God's word says and how people interact and, and the people that we interact around us who, who have different opinions and different perspectives on things. We've got to do the hard work of discernment. And that comes through the, through the gift of the Spirit, but it also comes through our own, our own work of Him guiding us along, right? So, we need to be studious and careful. What we're not going to talk about today, so uh, that's, that's down here in this point. We're not going to talk about today Sanctification and regeneration specifically, the Spirit's work in those two areas of our life. So we're reformed. We believe that the Spirit gives us the gift of faith, that He does the work of regenerating us so that we can come to the Lord in faith, come to, come to Jesus. And so that is something we believe, but we're not going to really talk about it specifically in this class. We're also not going to talk about the day-to-day -day work of His... Um, I mean, sanctification, this is where it gets a little muddy, so it's... I may, may not have served myself or you by talking about sanctification specifically, but we do believe that the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit is in our everyday life for all believers, and He's the power of God to live according to our holy calling. And there's some references to that point. But we're not going to talk about just the idea of being sanctified day by day in the, in the regular day-to-day -day things. We know that no temptation, there's no temptation that's common to man that Jesus has not experienced and, has, and, that, and that also the Holy Spirit doesn't give us a way out, right? The Lord doesn't give us a way out of that temptation. So that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say we're not going to talk about that specific element of uh, sanctification. We're talking about how the Spirit specifically interacts with us and how we're to pursue His interaction with us, okay? Which leads to the kind of second main point, and that's now concerning spiritual gifts. So we have a book that Daniel wrote on spiritual gifts, or aspects for this class. It's called Cornerstone Foundations. If you don't have one and you'd like one, we can get you one. You can talk to me at the end of the class. And that's his uh, chapter title for this topic, Now Concerning Spiritual Gifts. And this is where we get into kind of the meat of what we actually want to talk about. So, I hope you have your Bible. And if you do, please turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. So we've laid a foundation why we're talking, what is continuationism, why we're talking about it as its own, its very own class, how it's going to serve us. And so now that you've turned in your Bible, I want you to also flip to pages two and three of the handout. And we're just going to look briefly at some of these highlighted sections of the confession. There should be some more handouts on the little music stand back there. And I think you got some. Yep. All right, so that's page two and three. Um, so there's, you know, we're trying to summarize 
the, the confession is a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. It's very specific. It's very precise. There's seven sections that talk about the Holy Spirit. Section three is where I started highlighting for, to draw your attention there. And that's specifically about how the Lord promised the Holy Spirit and how uh, we should expect to see him working in the church today. So I'm just going to read the highlighted sections. I printed this whole thing out for you so that you can take it home and you can read the rest of it. So the first highlighted section in section three, at the, or at the end of the, the conclusion of his earthly ministry, or near the end, the Lord Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit upon his disciples that they might, that he, the Holy Spirit, might lead them into all truth, empowering them to witness and sanctifying them in the truth. He is the spirit of unity within the church of Christ. Section four. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in fulfillment of the promises of God under the Old Testament. And we will look at those specific examples uh, a little bit later. On the next page, page three, he works still in the world to convict, regenerate, sanctify sinners, granting them new life and faith so that we might believe in Jesus Christ. So that is an example of his work of regeneration in our life. Section five, he's the spirit of the new covenant, which we see in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 and Joel 2. He's enlivening and empowering all the elect to know the Lord, to bear fruit, to serve one another in the church for mutual edification. That's an important important element that we'll talk about in more detail later. He blows wherever he wishes, empowering the church, the elect, for service according to the sovereign purpose of the triune God. So he is the power through which we do what we do, how we live. Section six, the gifts of the spirit are given freely by God for the good of his people. The gifts of the Spirit are given freely by God for the good of His people. He gives gifts according to His good purposes and calls His disciples to earnestly desire these gifts. And we'll talk about that in more detail. These gifts are to be earnestly desired in order that the church might be edified. Earnestly desired that the church might be edified. They were granted unto the church until the Lord shall return. Some people will argue that the scripture says that the gifts are only for a specific period of time, and so they are no longer used for the church today. They were for when the, when the first church was, was blossoming and burgeoning, and, and the Holy Spirit came and was distinguishing himself, and he said, I'm going to do this, and so he did. And after the first or second century, it just kind of, he just kind of settled in, and people knew what the church was, and they knew what the apostles were, and they knew what believers were, and so that we didn't need those gifts, those miraculous sign gifts anymore. Some people will argue that that's not what the Bible says. It's not what we believe the Bible says. And then the last summary statement that we already read, all the gifts of the Spirit listed in the New Testament are available for the church, that's us, today should be earnestly desired and exercised for the edification or the building up of the church and the advance of the gospel. You'll notice that in all of these sections, there's passages of scripture. These are proof texts for the statement, how we came up with the statement we came up with, or how the original authors came up with the statement that they came up with, is because of these passages of scripture. And so 
don't just take our word for it. You should look at them. You should do the, do the work. Did we arrive, did we or the original authors of Confessions from the 1600s and up till now arrive at the right conclusion? Look at those passages of scripture and you can discern that yourself. All right. So, we made some statements. You heard some terms that were reused a couple times through the confession. They were, again, precise because it's what the Bible says. We are to earnestly desire for the edification or the building up of the church. So, this is now point four on page, or page one. So, we're kind of down into the meat, but this is where we're going to spend a good bit of our time. Bless you. So, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, there's a, number of, there's a number of places in the New Testament where we talk about the gifts. 1 Corinthians is where we're looking at today. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And the first thing that I want to draw attention to is that all, that there's gifts for all of the redeemed. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 4 through 11. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through verse 11. And we're going to read that. So, starting in 12.4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each for the common good. For one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right. So a couple of interesting things here. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul spends some time talking about how the church should be unified because the church is kind of factioning off. And they're saying, well, actually, I'm with Apollos. Uh, well, I'm with Paul. I'm actually with Jesus Christ. Right. And he lists these different people and says that the church is saying, I'm with this guy. I follow that guy. Now, this is my guy. And so there's an element of this particular section where not only is Paul talking about the same spirit giving the gifts, but he's making a big deal about it. it's the same spirit. So that there's no misconstrued idea by the church that there's different spirits for different gifts. Pagan religions, especially those with a pantheon of gods, might say, well, there's the God of this, and there's the God of that, and there's the God of this. Well, Paul's making the point that it's one God, one spirit who gives all the gifts. And he gives all the gifts so that everyone can be built up. So he doesn't give a gift for you to be great. He gives you a gift so that you can serve other people, so that you can build up the church. That's what the gifts are for. So there's one spirit unifying us, giving us a lot of different gifts. Down a little bit lower um, in 1213, it says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, all believers are baptized in one spirit. We're all unified in Christ in one spirit. And we are all baptized. So that's, that's important. Every believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit and set apart for Christ that way. The Holy Spirit seals us for him. And he doesn't care about whether or not you are a Jew biologically or whether you're a non-Jew biologically, Gentile or Jew, which is a big deal to these folks. That was significant. That was the greatest possible divide you could imagine. Racial divide, ethnic divide, political divide. This trumps all of them. For a Jew and a Gentile to be together was a big deal for the Jews especially. Really big deal. We don't actually have a category for that, I don't think. We have categories that are like it, but not to the level and the degree that these guys experienced this unity. And it was hard work, but the Holy Spirit did that. And that's why they pointed out time and time again. Also, classes of people. If you're slave or free, there's, there's no value category that sets you apart from any other believer. We're all united. So that's, that's the point there. And we all have the baptism and there's gifts for everyone. Okay, we've made that point. And I believe I've made that point well. But if you have questions, you can ask me in a little bit. So then we move to one of these phrases that we see in the confession that we see several times in this particular passage of scripture, 12 through 14. And this is a command. We are to earnestly desire these things. Okay, why are we to earnestly desire the gifts? Does anybody want to take a guess? Okay, I'm going to take that as a resounding no. Hey, there you go, Kim. Thanks. Yeah, God gives them to us. Exactly. So, um, Luke 11, 15, 13, excuse me, I wrote it down there. Luke 11, 13 says, this is, this is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his audience of people and he's talking about how uh, we who are evil can give good gifts. We know how to give good gifts, especially to those that we love. Well, Luke is, Jesus is making the point, hey, your heavenly father who is perfect will give you freely the Holy Spirit. He'll freely give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. And so that's kind of the foundation of why we, we would assume that we are to earnestly desire this because the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father and the Son to his people. He just says, ask for it. Ask and earnestly seek it. So why and where is the idea of earnestly seeking the gifts come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. 12:31 the last verse of chapter 12 chapter 12:31 says but earnestly desire the higher gifts all right so what's the higher gifts if you go up a little bit further starting in verse 27 you'll see now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administ administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all prophets? So the answer there would be no. It's a rhetorical question. Are all prophets? No. Are all apostles? No. Are all teachers? No. 
Do all work miracles? No. Do, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, no, no. But, even though not everyone's going to, earnestly desire those gifts. And then, at the end, right after that, we see it say, and I will show you still a more excellent way. That's, that's actually supposed to be part of, it would make more sense if it was a part of chapter 13. Uh, it's, a, it's a new paragraph. It's one of those places where when the people who stuck in the chapter markers, they may not have done a great job because we know those weren't inspired, the words were inspired, so the chapter markers were added later, and this is an example where it had been better if they'd have moved it up half a sentence, well, just one sentence, but earn, earnestly desire the higher gifts because they're given to you by the Father freely for those who ask, and then he says, I'm going to show you still a more excellent way, but we're going to get into that in the next point, so earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, if you flip over to chapter 14, verse 1, so there's a little parenthetical almost. He says, earnestly desire them. I'm going to show you a better way. And then he comes back to his thought, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then, in verse 12 of chapter 14, it says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So again, this idea of being eager for the manifestations of the Spirit. So the simple answer to the question is, that's why we earnestly desire them. Because it's a command. It says, earnestly desire these things. As earnestly desire the higher gifts, earnestly desire to prophesy. And we'll talk about why specifically prophecy in a little bit. But that's the main point there. So it's a command. It's imperative for us. It's not an option. It's not a recommendation. He actually says, you should want this. Ask for it. Look for it continually. Wait on the Lord for these things. And don't expect that you're going to get what you pray for necessarily. Because are all, are all prophets? Are all, do all have gifts of healing? Do all have miracles and signs? No. The Spirit gives according to His will. He apportions as He wants for the purpose of building up the church. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop earnestly desiring them. And earnestly, earnestly desiring them specifically. So it's very acceptable to ask and to keep asking and to wait in faith for the Lord. But then also to be willing with open hands to receive what He gives when He gives. All right. Um, an excellent example of somebody who has been earnestly desiring a spiritual gift for a very, very long time, very, very publicly, is John Piper. John Piper has earnestly desired the gift of tongues for many, many, many years. And he writes about it, and he talks about it, and he has never experienced that gift. He really, really wants it, but he's never experienced it. He's asked for it, never received it. But John Piper has been mightily used with the gift of teaching and the gift of um, other types of gifts by the Holy Spirit for many, many decades. But he still has desired that one and continues to desire that one. And that's okay. That is good for him to do. Um, so that's an example of a person who is very high profile, who has very publicly said, I want it. I haven't got it yet, but I'm still asking for it. That should be our attitude. It shouldn't be, I've never got it. I've been asking for three days and I haven't got it yet. God must not want to give it to me. It must not be my gift. I don't have it. Right? That's not, that shouldn't be our attitude. It should be waiting, expectantly, eagerly asking. So, it's a command. 
earnestly desire. And then the third point, why does, the God, why, why does God, apportioning as he wills, why does he do this? Why does he give us these gifts? Um, and the answer is for the building up of the church specifically in love. And so we'll go back to chapter 13 in a minute for this. Uh, we already read where it says in chapter 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, and that's an important kind of setup statement for, for this other, the rest of this point. He gives us these gifts so that all of us are built up, so that all of us are edified. He wouldn't give Jediah a gift necessarily so that Jediah has a cool gift. It's not about Jediah having a gift. It's about Jediah using that gift for the people of God in some context, right? All right. So we have chapter 13 here. I mentioned that it was kind of this little clause or, or parenthetical. It's not a clause. This is a clarifying statement that Paul is making here. In the middle of talking about spiritual gifts and the purpose of spiritual gifts, he says, I'm going to show you an even more excellent way. And then he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and, and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Very similar to the thing that I experienced, right, at this, at this, this conference that I went to. I went in there and people were making all kinds of noise, supposedly for Jesus, but no one was being edified. No one was being built up. There wasn't love being shared and demonstrated. It was like a personal moment for everybody. That's, that's what it says here. It says, this is for love. If I have prophetic gifts and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. That's a big statement. If I have enough faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So as we seek these gifts earnestly and, and ask for the Spirit to move among us, to, to equip us, we need to do it remembering that it's about love. He, it's about the, the unity of love we have through the Spirit for one another and for the Lord. If the gifts aren't bringing us closer to one another and closer to the Lord, then we have nothing. They're useless. Useless gifts. And the Spirit doesn't give useless gifts, right? James says, if you ask for wisdom, uh, if you, you, you may ask and not receive because you're asking for the wrong motives, right? That's, that's to be applied here. If you're asking for the wrong, in the wrong spirit of, I just really want a gift because I want a gift. There's nothing wrong with that, but what is the purpose of your gift? Is the purpose of your gift to build others up, to build up yourself, to build up into the Lord? Well, then he's probably more likely, if you ask in faith, to bless you with a gift. Because your heart is in a correct posture of humility before him. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. That's, a, that's an important statement. Love bears all things. It's not just... Well, this guy did something I like, so I'm going to bear that. This guy really ticks me off every time I talk to him. I'm not going to bear that. I'm not going to bear with him. Why? Well, that's wrong. That's not what it talks about. True love bears all things. True, true love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But eventually the perfect will come. The partial will pass away. The perfect will come. So for now, faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But the greatest of these three is love. So he makes this statement, earnestly desire the gifts, and then says, but earnestly desire the gifts in love for the purpose of love. And then he comes back and says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then he goes into why you should want prophecy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not only to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The spirit who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, sorry, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So now we're into this idea of why do we have these gifts? For the building up of the church. Prophecy builds up the church. Um, a little bit down, further down into the next verse, the end of five, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets for that so that the church may be built up. And then go back down to 14.12. So, with yourself, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then a little bit later in 14, again, he says, when you come together, speak. Each one has a, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up of the church. And then again in 31, I'm not, you don't have to track with me here, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may be learned and be encouraged and built up. So, there we go. This is why. This is why we make a big deal about it. This is why we exercise it. This is why we pursue it. Because we've been given these gifts, we've all been given these gifts and access to these gifts through the Spirit so that He can direct and apportion the gifts as He wills so that um, we can build up the church and be built up in the Spirit. All right. Now let's get really practical. What's that look like in our church? Now, most of you have been coming to our church for a very long time. Most of you are longer than me. And we know how a Sunday morning rhythm works. We see that we go in and we sing a certain number of songs. We have a prophecy mic. People come up to the prophecy mic. They whisper with the elder. They maybe say something. And then, you know, they go back and sit down at their seat. Why do we do that? Well, there's, there's a reason for that. Um, and it's in chapter 14. And it's actually I just read part of it. Chapter 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, let all things be done for the building up. If any speak with a tongue, let there be only one, two, or at most three, and each in turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, then let each one keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that you may be 
that you may all learn and all be encouraged, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So, that's a, an instructional section that Paul has included for the edification of the church. You have these gifts. Everyone, it says everyone comes with a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. So that right there is an interesting little point. We should come to a Sunday morning gathering with these things on our minds. We should actually come prepared to share with each other to build each other up. It's very easy to think that we're here to consume. We're not here to consume. We're here to contribute. We come ready to share a hymn or a thought or revelation or, or um, a tongue or an interpretation. We come prepared to do that. So when we get up on a Sunday morning, actually when we go to bed on a Saturday night, we should be preparing ourselves for what the Lord would have us to give and share and bring to the congregation. That doesn't mean that we have to share it publicly, but it does mean that we have to be ready to give that thing away. He's given us a gift to give it away for the building up of the church. So do you come prepared to minister to your friends with a gift? Do you come with a tongue, a, a, a hymn on your tongue? To, to praise the Lord with? Do you come prepared to, to share? Sorry, this is not in here. I'm kind of extemporaneously um, exhorting us here. We should come ready to participate and ready to give. We're not here to sit and listen. We need that too. That's part of it. We do need to sit and listen to the word. A couple weeks ago, Brad taught us about how the people gathered around Ezra as he read the law and they sat and they listened and they were and they understood, they were taught what the law said. We need that, but we also need to come ready to give. Okay, I'm going to step off that soapbox for a second, get back to my outline because I'm running out of time. So, um, ben, yes. Is there a time for questions at the end? Or? There is. And I'm going to skip a section. It's in here, um, but we're going to skip it because it's written down. So you can look at it later if you want. Um, what I want to talk about now is what do we see in our own congregation? Who are the people in our congregation who have experienced these gifts, who demonstrate these gifts for us, and what is it like for them when they do this? Really practical. What's it like? And so I've asked Gary and I've asked Phil if they would share briefly a little bit about what it is for them when they experience the filling of the Spirit and when they experience receiving these gifts and how it works so that very practically, especially those of us who are, who are younger, who have seen this all of our life maybe, but really don't exactly know how it works, can at least have a sense of what it's like. So, Gary, can you share with us really briefly? First of all, whenever the Lord, I feel like the Lord's laid something on my heart, it, most of the time it happens in the service, but it's something that maybe the Lord's spoken to me through the week, uh, has emphasized. Um, and I would like to say that every time I go up there, my heart is pounding and full of fear. I mean, <laughs> probably fear of man, but, you know, fear of uh, not being edifying. So don't ever let that stop you from going up there. But it is, it's, a, it's an impression from the Lord that whatever it is that he's been speaking to me uh, is good for at least someone in the congregation. It doesn't have to be everyone. Um, the times that I've gotten up there and, and sang a song, I felt like it was for someone specific in the congregation. 
that it didn't necessarily have to minister to everyone. So um, there's just always that sense of, I, I don't ever have a sense of that I know exactly what he's saying. It's, it's always a walk of faith. A walk, you, know, you have to trust the Lord. You have to, in some ways, I have to trust that the people who have gone before me have set the example. Hmm. And, um, and so I'm not sure if I'm quite getting to what you want. No, that's great. <clears throat> when you when you experience a thing, especially if it's in the service, or even if it's not, is it the kind of impression where you're sitting there and you're just engaging with the Lord through song or, or through what's being spoken at the mic, perhaps, and then he lay, he just gives you an idea and and he gives you the impression that that's for somebody to hear. Yeah, that, that that's. Oftentimes, when, when the, uh, the worship leader sent out the song list, I go through the song list mm. with them, and I'll <clears throat> maybe sing the chorus in the song or something, and out of that, there might be an impression mm. that comes out of that. Okay. And, and then I'll just, in my, uh, I'll just sing a song at home mm -hmm. to myself, and then um, later on it'll be an impression that maybe I need to do it publicly. Okay. Uh, in the same way with the prophetic word, even if it's not in a song, you know, it's um, maybe looking over the notes from last week or something like that, or something the Lord's dealing with me personally in my heart, and I think, oh, man, this, you know, this could minister to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's an, it's an impression that's more than just you're doing your Bible study, and wow, that's a good thought there. It's not, it's more like... I mean, it pricks your heart. Mm -hmm. It's a real, it's a real deal. You know, it's not just your imagination. Yeah. Uh, kind of don't know how to explain it. Maybe, maybe Phil has better. Yeah, maybe. Gary, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. So, I when I watch you in worship, you often have your Bible in your hand, and there's usually a finger and a passage, and sometimes it's open. Like, what is the role of not just like the word in your heart, but like the actual you engaging with your open Bible during the time of singing? Like what, what are you doing there? Oftentimes it's a, a passage that has spoken either through the week to me or it's from a song that, that you all have chosen. And so the words kind of go with uh, the message of the song, maybe not with the song. And a lot of times I'm standing there contemplating, can I sing this with what you're playing? Um, and will it edify? Uh, you know, it's all, that's always the question in the back of my mind. I'm always arguing with myself because I don't feel like if I go up there, like, you know, it's anything great. <laughs> yeah, not some great vocalist going up there and singing. But is it gonna is it gonna speak to somebody's heart? You know, if I do this in a, in a special way, not just because it's scripture, but specifically that scripture for that person's heart. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's oftentimes a passage that I've read through the week or has to do with that song. Uh, when you guys, it's, I really encourage you to keep sending the song list out because that really helps me. Um, I do consider the song list when you send them out and that helps me a lot. Thanks, Gary. Phil? Yes. Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Gary and I have many overlaps in our Christian walk, and for me, um, I think to some extent with Gary, we came in at a time when 
when it was expected that the Lord would give you something to share with someone else. And um, the very first meeting I was ever in, uh, I probably got saved that night. I look back on it. Uh, a man had a prophecy for me personally. Had me stand up in the crowd, pointed to me, and then had a prophetic word. Well, that really gets your attention, you know, especially if it's got any accuracy to it at all, which it really did. So I'm burst into Christianity uh, within that context that God still speaks to us. He speaks to us primarily in the Bible, but he also speaks to us, and he wants to speak through us. So at a very early age, um, Christian-wise, I began to think that way. And so when you read the scripture, you first of all are reading it to find out what it says about God, uh, and then what it says about you. Um, and then are there moments, Nick used, uh, Gary used the word, uh, your heart is pricked when you feel God is really isolating on a particular thing. You may read a lot of things that morning in scripture, but there's one thing that the Lord really has for you. And that's an important moment for you, for letting in the scriptures prophesy to you. Um, and then a step beyond that is God giving you something to speak to someone else. And uh, that's what we're talking about with our prophecy. And I think, um, I think that there should be that expectation that it happens. Now, there is that moment when you're reading or you're praying or you're in church or you're worshiping and you think the Lord has given you something. Now I get through a process. Um, <clears throat> I try to identify what the Lord is saying. My first question is, is this for me? <laughs> and just shut up and do what you know, is it just for me? The second thing is it for someone else and who else um, in the congregation that's there? I never assume it for someone who's not there. Um, and as I, I like to be as accurate as I can who that might be. So sometimes it's a category of people. Um, uh, Janai, I've got and spoke a couple of weeks ago about for young people who are struggling with with different things. And so for some of us, I think the words the last couple of weeks have to do with suffering. And, and so there's always ways you can, uh, who's in the meeting you're in? <clears throat> and what is the Lord saying? And what to say through you to them? And there always is, as Gary said, some trepidation because you don't want to be presumptive, presumptive uh, in your assumption that God is speaking to you. That's why I always preface going, I think the Lord might be saying this. Um, and if I'm really sure I'll just say it, I think the Lord wants to say to us today. But I usually have some, I want to have a disclaimer in there. <laughs> Because when we talk about inspired speech, that's inspired with a small eye. Right. You know, uh, we think it's inspired to us, but we don't want people to, to overtake that. Yeah. I've seen people, um, I call them prop, parking lot prophecies, where a, a man who thinks he's a prophet, you know, starts talking to people in the pro parking lot and giving them personal words of instruction, where to go, and mm -hmm. I think the Lord wants you to move to Montana. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> and if you get one of those, 
don't feel obligated to listen to it. So. <coughs> yeah. Take it to one of your pastors or you know, talk to your spouse, whatever. But um, um, th because there are two fears, Gary talked about overcoming the fear of man. The next thing you have to overcome or you need to cultivate is the fear of God. Some people in this room, and I've put myself in that category, have never been overly afflicted with the fear of man that way, in some public speaking. And that sometimes will lead you, and some people really enjoy being in front of the crowd and seem to really, it's not a struggle for them at all. You know, they're getting all kinds of positive feedback. And um, that person, uh, that fear of man that he doesn't have or he's overcome, we'll say, put it on the best of terms, because I think that's right. That, that he needs to cultivate the fear of God. But I don't want, um, uh, I don't want to say something that you haven't said. God, I don't want to say to these people something that you haven't said. So I think I'm going on too long. <laughs> this is great. Um, in my life, let me talk about Gary's life. You know, <laughs> Gary's first public ministry was in uh, in. Song leading, and to watch him lead singing, she sat under him and said that song leading times back when he still had a voice. And <laughs> and I got started out as a worship leader, and please don't ask me to do anything about that. <laughs> but Gary would lead in such a way, and he would exhort the congregation, <clears throat> and he would pick songs that pretty soon you felt the Holy Spirit moving on the congregation. And it was powerful. It was far beyond his ability. Hmm. Um, I don't want to minimize his ability, but it has limitations. His voice range had limitations. You know, those kinds of things. Uh, we weren't looking for rock stars, though. We were looking for people who heard the Spirit and could lead other people in responding to the Spirit. Hmm. And that's really one of the most significant things and joys I've always had of, of sitting under Gary's Mm. Um, song leading yeah. ministry. <clears throat> I think for those of us in in leadership, there's a different opportunity you have there. So as a church leader for now, <clears throat> well, not any longer, but for over 40 years, <clears throat> I, had, <clears throat> I had many moments where <clears throat> I felt like the Lord was saying something. And you give it to the other leaders, you don't act on your own, but uh, one of the key meetings in this church happened in this September 1993, some year and three months after the church was planted, and we weren't particularly growing, we were running out of money, and we had expected all this help to come from our parent sending group, Sovereign Grace, or PDI as it was known at the time. And um, uh, people were very discouraged. They had all left good churches, many in different places. Uh, the Knowles had come from, from uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and the Joneses had come from Covenant Life and, and Gaithersburg, and um, uh, Carla Monroe had come from there. Uh, Bo Martin was here, and we were here, and, and the rules were here, but we had known each other at least the rules of life for many years. Anyway, there was a real 
kind of melancholy over the place. And there was a meeting we had that fall, and the Lord gave me a word to speak to that, to the church, which small as it was, about, you know, kind of not looking back, you know, forgetting those things which lie behind. Hmm. Nobody's coming to bail us out except Jesus. Hmm. Quit looking. You're going to be disappointed. Hmm. He's given it to us. So everybody gird up your loins and we're going to do the work that it takes for we, if you believe that God has called us to plant this church. So that was one of those kind of words that was a, an exhortation, but it had some edge to it. Mm-hmm. And um, there have been many more since then from how we got in this building and, and, uh, and then my time. But each one of those, you're in a situation and you've learned to discern when the Lord is speaking to you and he wants to speak through you. That is a developed skill, if you will, um, where you're learning to discern. In Hebrews 5 is a, is a, a sentence that's good there, but um, gifts are developed as well as given. Uh, your, your, your function of the gift develops, even though the gift may be there. Sometimes see a person who's who's kind of raw, but they've been given a gift, and you know they have. This one, hey, don't discourage them. Give them time, give them correction occasionally, but let them develop in that gift because the end is going to be much greater than what you're seeing now. Don't discourage them. So we are in a church that believes that God speaks to us and speaks to us through His Word primarily. And, he's, and any word he speaks other than that has to be in, has to be consistent with the written word, or you're going to throw it out immediately. <laughs> but God does speak to us from His word, about His word, and He speaks to us in real time, and He wants to use us to encourage our brothers and sisters in whatever context that is. So that's my encouragement to you to be open to that, and also to uh, work on the discerning part mm-hmm. and talk to older Christians privately and, and draw them out if you want to draw from their experience. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Phil and Gary. So that's an excellent way for us to just conclude our time with exhortations from the gray heads, with men who have, who have and do exercise their gifts before us and with us and to us as from the Lord. And that's an excellent way to end. So. I will point your attention to just a couple more things because, um, one, because I put a lot of time into it, hopefully for your edification, um, and that is when we talk about the spiritual gifts, we, you know, we talk about these lists oftentimes. What, what are the spiritual gifts? And if you look at page five, at the very top of page five, the biblical survey, demonstrations of the Holy Spirit filling his people, the very top of that uh, it says 1 Corinthians 12 in bold and 12, uh, Romans 12 in bold. And that's, that's kind of a list. That's a curated list of the gifts that we see specifically given to us um, in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. And what I took some time to do was to go through and, and list out all those gifts and examples of, at least where I believe those gifts are demonstrated and where we see examples of them in Scripture. And there's a lot of them in the Old Testament. Um, which is something that, uh, just a simple point is, 
some people may be under the illusion that because the Spirit fell after Jesus had left and kind of the sign of the new covenant, that the Spirit being given to people is a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's a very, very old thing. Uh, just look at Hebrews 11 as a cons very consolidated list of all the people who by faith did things, were given gifts, had signs and miracles performed through them by the Spirit because they had faith. Um, so these are all examples of that. Uh, a lot of these things can be fit, can fit into multiple categories like I, Elijah and Elisha, 1 Kings, you know, through 2 Kings 7. Like each of those guys did amazing things through the power of the Lord and the Spirit coming on them. Lots of examples of the Spirit rushing upon people, doing certain things. I'm not going to go into the detail. It's written down. I did the work yesterday, so you can look at it now. So take it home and look through them. And the, 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 it's all written out. The passages are even written out. You don't have to look them up. So, um, but I encourage you to spend some time doing that and be amazed, be encouraged. If you have questions about what does it look like if I think I have this gift, well, go to Scripture, as, as Phil just said. Run it through the rubric of Scripture. Is it true? Okay, does this look like this? And then exercise it and discern it. Um, yeah, so, Philip, I said I would have questions, or there would be questions at the end. I don't have time publicly. I'm going to let you guys go, but if you have questions for me, you're certainly welcome to follow up with me. Um, I'll be here or we can, you can email me or whatever, but uh, let's close in a word of prayer real quick. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are a good father who gives us good gifts and that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to, to bring us close to you and to build us up. Um, help us to be people who earnestly desire, who, um, try to faithfully practice and, uh, to, to be people who earnestly desire, faithfully practice, and continue to expect you to do good things among us. Not to contrive it, not to stir it up in ourselves, but to just come to you faithfully asking you to give us the good gifts to serve your people and to draw us close to you. And as we go into the time of worship, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and that we would, we would sense you present with us and among us and that you would give us words of prophecy and words of encouragement, especially for those who need to hear them this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.